Let me invite you to turn to page 8 of your bulletin. You'll see our scripture for this morning. So we are uh, currently in a series in the book of Acts. Uh, Acts is in the New Testament, immediately following the four Gospels. So it's near the the front of the New Testament, but the back of your Bible. Uh, And Acts recounts uh, the Holy Spirit working through the apostles to gather and grow the early church. The Holy Spirit working through the apostles to gather and grow the early church. And the promise in the theme verse, Acts 1.8, is that this is going to extend to the end of the earth. And so we said each week that we are beneficiaries here at Resurrection this morning. We are beneficiaries of this work that's happening in Acts this morning. Um, Throughout Acts, the author Luke will uh, zoom out from the detailed narratives and he'll summarize what was going on at the church during that time. And we have the first summary here this morning at the end of Acts chapter 2. In our passage, Luke is going to give us a summary of what uh, the shared life of these followers of Jesus looked like. And here's the big idea that I want us to see this morning. Uh, That following Jesus brings us into a shared life of togetherness that is countercultural. Following Jesus brings us into a shared life of togetherness that is countercultural. Acts 2, 42 to 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The word of the Lord. Father, we do thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us. We pray that you would meet us now as we consider this together. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, So prior to moving to Greenville, uh, my family and I lived in Lexington, Kentucky, and I worked in college ministry at the University of Kentucky, so my full-time call was on campus um, at UK uh, ministering to college students. Uh, During the course of uh, my time in ministry there, there was a student that got involved in our ministry, and um, he was in a fraternity on campus, and so... As he and I got to know one another, we started talking about, hey, what, you know, what if we started a Bible study in your fraternity, uh, in your fraternity house, so you could you know, reach the guys that you're doing life with and that kind of thing? He's like, okay, great. So he goes, sets it all up. We, we set the date. We're going to meet in the fraternity house. And so I'm like, okay, I'll meet you there. I'll never forget the first Bible study in this fraternity house. Uh, we, so I remember driving up there, and I walked up to this massively beautiful fraternity house on campus, and I pounded on these like very like stately front doors. And I sort of had this existential moment as I was standing at the front door of this fraternity house as a 30-something-year-old man. Um, 
I was thinking about in that moment, um, what am I doing here? What is my life? I was thinking about my friends I went to school with who were like at home, who were like, you know, bankers and stuff like that, who had normal jobs and they were at home with their families. And I was like waiting nervously outside of this fraternity house for these 18 to 22 year old men to let me in. Uh, I was like, what, what am I doing? Okay, so existential moment over. This guy opens the door and he looked like an older student, a very, you know, a senior member of this fraternity. And he kind of looks me up and down. And he said, uh, you a pledge? I said, no, 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 I'm not a pledge. I'm like a grown man. Uh, I've got like a family. I promise, I'm normal. Um, and I tell him I'm there to lead a Bible study, who I was there to meet. And so he goes and, you know, validates my story. And then so my friend comes to the door. We go in. We start this Bible study. But what I realized during that moment and throughout the course of this Bible study with the brothers uh, was that it was a really big deal for them to let me into their fraternity house. I was not a member of their fraternity. Um, I did not share the things that they had shared in together. This fraternity was a tight-knit community, as most are. One that was forged through like rush and pledgeship and probably some type of hazing that they can't talk about. Uh, they knew each other's stories. They knew each other's backgrounds. They'd been through all this together. And they still keep up today. They'll keep up for many, many years into the future. But it was a tight-knit lifetime bond that will not easily be broken. Do you see the tight-knit lifetime bond in our passage? Uh, these followers of Jesus were all in with each other. And as we read a passage like this in Acts, we're like, yes, that's it. That's what I want. That's what I'm here for. I love it. That's why I'm at this new church, because we're going to recreate Acts 2. We're going to have this type of community. We long for this. We all long for this. And yet, what is a story that many of our lives tell? It's a story of individualism. It's a story of loneliness, of isolation, stories of going it alone, of trying to figure out who our people are, of, of navigating insider-outsider dynamics, trying to figure out if we fit in. Um, we're kind of connected, but we mostly feel like we're always missing out on something when other people are gathered together. Um, our phones, right? They offer this weird, like, false sense of being connected. So we kind of feel more connected, but we're really just lonelier. Uh, our schedules are packed, and they're, like, fine-tuned to our individual lives and our individual families. Um, you add all this up in our cultural moment, and our faith can become this thing that sort of fits into our uh, busy, isolated lives that is mostly about me and Jesus and doesn't always account for his people together. But yet we long for something more. We long for Acts chapter 2, for this type of togetherness they would read about. So let's look at this passage and let's think about um, how can we as a new church move towards uh, greater togetherness as followers of Jesus? Three questions I want to ask from this text. What creates this togetherness? Um, what does a life of togetherness look like? And how will this togetherness impact our neighborhoods?
First question, what creates this togetherness? Okay, so our passage comes right after Pentecost, which is in the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Uh, Peter, right afterwards, um, he preaches a sermon. And if you read that, at, this, at the center of his sermon is the death and resurrection of Jesus. And the response to Peter's preaching was that those listening, it says they were cut to the heart. And they asked how they could respond. And so Peter told them, he says, quote, Repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so according to Peter, in the context of our passage in Acts 2, what creates this togetherness? Uh, surrendering your life to Jesus. Repenting. Believing. Being baptized. Right, how does it work? How does repenting and believing and being baptized create togetherness? Think about those things individually. Think about repentance. What are we saying about ourselves when we repent? Uh, we're saying that I'm guilty. I'm guilty of sinning against God, of not obeying Him perfectly, and of not loving others perfectly. Um, that I can't bring my own goodness to this situation. Um, I can only bring my failure and sin. Uh, that's the cry of every person in this community. Um, not how great we are, but how far we've fallen short. And do you see how that levels the playing field? We don't come with our resume. Uh, we come with our sin and our need of forgiveness. So we come and repent. Belief. All right, what are we saying? We profess belief in Jesus. We are saying that we need something from outside of ourselves to rescue us. That we can't help ourselves. We're believing that Jesus is the rescuer. We're the problem. He is the solution. I believe that Jesus sacrificially paid the debt that I needed to pay but couldn't. And that his righteousness and beauty and purity is accredited to me. Simply by believing in what he has done. It's not my resume, it's his resume. You see how that levels the playing field when we profess what we believe together. What about baptism? Baptism is this new covenant sign and seal of being cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And it's the mark of entrance into community life with his people. It's this mark of, being, of needing his cleansing. Of what God has done for us and to us by his grace. And it's how we enter into this life together. So the togetherness that we see created in Acts, it happens when people surrender their lives to Jesus and repent and believe and are baptized. Uh, as I was thinking about this passage this week, I googled, um, what is the most exclusive club in the world? And there were a few of these private clubs that, that popped up and there are multiple lists. There's a club in San Francisco called the Bohemian Club. Uh, it's a private club that draws um, basically like world leaders, um, academics, uh, politicians, creatives, thought leaders, uh, big, important people. Uh, the wait list to be admitted to this club is around 15 years. Um, in order to get in, you need multiple letters of recommendation. You'll be interviewed 15 different times. 15 different interviews. Once you, um, once you get in, you pay $25,000 to join. And then there's a, an annual fee after that. Um, and apparently one of the primary perks of this club is that every summer you're invited to a grove 
in 2,700 acres of virgin redwood forest for, quote, light talks, meetings, and plays. I have no idea what that means. Uh, Togetherness, to use our term, togetherness at the Bohemian Club is based on what? Who you know, letters of recommendation, uh, what you've done in your career and how impressive you are, 15 interviews, and your net worth. You've got to be able to pay to get in. All right. What is our togetherness based on in the family of God? Our togetherness is based on owning the fact that we have totally messed up and rejected God. Recognizing that we can't help ourselves, but we need something and someone from outside of us to do it for us. And that we are committed to sharing life with people who also have fallen short and need rescue from outside of themselves. That's what our togetherness is based on. We bring our problem. Jesus brings the redemption. What that means for our togetherness is that all kinds of people can join. People from different economic backgrounds. People who speak different languages. uh, People who have different political affiliations. People who come from vastly different cultures and perspectives. Uh, Both successful people and people who have failed. Uh, People who are really strong and have it together. People who are really weak and cannot get it together. Smart people. Uneducated people. Those with a great resume. Those with a criminal record. That's who can join this club. Uh, The prerequisite for joining the family of God and experiencing this type of togetherness is that you own the fact that you are lost. And you need Jesus to rescue you. That's what creates our togetherness. That's the core message that these believers had embraced in our passage. All right. How does our passage describe what they did together? Second question, what does a life of togetherness look like? And you see this all throughout the passage. Look at verse 42. It says they were sitting under the same teaching. They were all devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were all hearing it together. Teaching about the life and ministry of Jesus about how all the Old Testament scriptures find their fulfillment in him, about how to live in light of this good news of what Jesus had done. They were all committed and sitting under the same teaching from these apostles. What else were they doing? Uh, They were together a lot. They were together a lot. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to what? The fellowship. Verse 44, all who believed were together. Verse 46, Attending temple together. Again in verse 46. They were in each other's homes. They spent a lot of time with each other. Daily time together. Sitting under the same teaching. A lot of time together. Third, they were doing spiritual disciplines together. Spiritual disciplines together. Spiritual disciplines are just things that God has given us that help us grow in our relationship with Him. And they were doing these things together. Verse 42, the breaking of the bread. It's likely that that's referring to both the Lord's Supper, which we do every week, but also a greater feast that they would do together frequently. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the prayers. Probably some organized, regular prayers and also praying uh, just together on their own. Um, During temple, at their homes together. They prayed together a lot. 
Verses 46 and 47, attending temple, praising God. They worshiped together frequently. Okay, so togetherness meant doing these uh, spiritual disciplines together. And I would say, just notice what's emphasized here. Um, It's the togetherness. They're practicing, they're not, it doesn't say that they're practicing these disciplines on their own. It's likely that they were. They were probably praying on their own, worshiping personally in their own hearts, that sort of thing. That's not what Luke highlights. He is highlighting that they were doing these things with one another. Spiritual disciplines together. And the fourth thing that we see them doing together is sharing resources. Look at verses 44 and 45. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the the proceeds to all as any had need. All right, so they were doing this because they viewed each other as family. And if someone in the family has a need, we're going to take care of that need. And we're going to make personal sacrifices on an individual level for the sake of the one in our community that has the need. All right, now this was not forced. It was not mandatory. It was voluntary. They could still own private property. We'll see in other places in Acts that they did still own private property. That is not what Luke is emphasizing here. By the way, we're all also very quick to point out that caveat as we read this, these verses. Um, as Luke lists this, uh, he, he, what, what he's doing here is he's listing this as a primary mark of their togetherness. Um, they did not think about their stuff as their own. They were quick to share and then give to others, not just out of abundance, but make personal sacrifices, sell things, rearrange things so that those in need could have what they needed. It is very tempting to read these few verses and dial in real quick to the caveat of like, yeah, but they could like still own private property, wasn't forced, didn't have to do this, it was voluntary. And that's important to note. But don't lose sight of the thrust of what Luke is saying about their life together. It is so challenging to think about what it would really look like for us to have all things in common. For us to willingly sacrifice when others' needs arise. That was the picture of what they were doing. It was like a family, family member in need. We're going to do whatever it takes to take care of that family member. This was their life together, sitting under the same teaching, being together a lot, doing spiritual disciplines together, sharing resources. Think about all those things together over time. Can you see how that would have a compounding effect on the togetherness of that community? Where it's the surrender of Jesus to Jesus that brings them together, that creates this community. And because of that, they start doing these things together. And what happens after days and weeks and months and years of doing these things together? They would get even closer to each other. It would be even more tight-knit, even, even more closely knit together, even more known Years of praying for each other. Years of sitting under the same teaching. Years of meals together around the same table. This togetherness, it compounds and it increases uh, as life is shared in these ways. Um, All right, so we officially started our life together as a church on April 4th, uh, 2021. So we're only like, you know, five to six months into life together at Resurrection. But we're already getting like some small glimmers of this type of stuff happening uh, from story groups and our neighborhood groups and Bible studies. There are needs being met, new friendships forming. 
Um, but y'all, and you know this, we are just scratching the surface. Just scratching the surface. You, and you may feel totally connected to the life of resurrection, like you're doing all those things and you've had these great moments of like Acts 2 type community happening. Um, or you may be brand new or you're trying to feel your way through and see who your people are going to be and how you're going to connect. Wherever you find yourself, here are two very practical ways I want to encourage you this morning. Uh, be in worship together and join a neighborhood group. Uh, those are two places where the stuff described in Acts 2 is happening on a regular basis. I know huge caveat, COVID, pandemic, we have to make smart decisions with health and all that. Be in worship. Join a neighborhood group. Um, if we, sometimes we read this and think, I can't wait for that to happen. Just kind of wait. We have to structure and build this into our lives. Attend to those things that God has provided for us to experience this type of life together. Um, our life together as we do these things will compound and grow. We will have deeper and richer and more beautiful shared life together as a church. All right, last question. How will this togetherness impact our neighborhoods? How will this togetherness impact our neighborhoods? Look at verse 47. It says, They were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Uh, this type of togetherness is so beautiful, so attractive, and so countercultural that the Lord uses it to draw people to himself. And that's what was happening in Acts as these new communities formed. I remember hearing a quote from a student uh, who got connected to a campus ministry during her time in college, and she was uh, talking about why she and her friends joined this group. And she said, quote, Friendship brought us here. The gospel is what kept us. Uh, the beauty of the relationships that they witnessed in this community is what drew them in. And what kept them there? The good news of Jesus Christ, the thing that creates that community. That's what kept them there. Um, it can be so tempting as followers of Jesus to try um, to live as a follower of Jesus, but not to do so in a way that makes us stand out or seem weird at all. Um, even me using the term countercultural may, maybe makes you squirm a little bit in your seat. Um, I can have different like weird connotations to it. Um, but what if our attempts to blend in were actually more damaging than helpful? Uh, and what if there was a beautiful, upside-down, attractive way in which followers of Jesus could live their lives that was totally countercultural? I heard an interview this week uh, with a writer and pastor named John Mark Comer, and he was talking about this very idea. And he was referencing um, this uh, historic work um, called Evangelism in the Early Church by this uh, professor, Michael Green, from Oxford. He's talking about this very thing. Listen to what Comer says in this interview. He says, But I am really not interested in trying to coerce or control people. I want to live in a way that begs the question. And I want to invite people to join me in our community in that. I mean, Michael Green from Oxford, his book Evangelism in the Early Church, basically sums up a couple of hundred-page academic study of early Christianity. It says, basically, 
This is how evangelism worked in the early church. The church was living a radically different and compelling life. Pagans were captivated and compelled by the way of life. And then Christians said, if you want to join us, you're welcome to. That was basically how evangelism worked. It wasn't a digital marketing strategy for Jesus. It wasn't massive events. I mean, the whole thing was illegal and persecuted. It was just this beautifully compelling alternative way of life that hundreds of millions of people and now billions of people have found to be the truest way of life there is. Um, Our togetherness as a new church family can be used by God to show this beautifully compelling alternative way of life to all of our surrounding neighborhoods. Uh, Whether it's how we worship on Sunday mornings, how our neighborhood group gathers each week, an early morning Bible study, or we're out serving together. um, So that as verse 47 says, we might have favor with all people, and the Lord might add to our number day by day those who are being saved. Uh, This togetherness is beautiful. It's something that we all want and we all need desperately. And it's something that our surrounding neighborhoods will find very beautiful. And it begins when we surrender our lives to King Jesus. Um, He's the center of it all. He's the one who creates this togetherness. And he's the one that that has promised to be at work in the midst of our togetherness. To make us all more and more into his image. And so he's the one that offers himself to you this morning. Won't you reach out and receive him by faith? Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you have not called us to live life alone, but you have called us into a life of togetherness.